Hello and welcome to A Life in Music with Russell Scott. This podcast is dedicated to all you performers out there who want to be the very best you can be. Whether you're just starting out, a budding professional, just love performing, or have been professionally working in the industry for years, this podcast will help you be the very best. Thank you for joining us today, and don't forget you can check out the website, alifeinmusic.com. Now, without further ado, please welcome the man himself. With over 35 years professional performance experience, 100,000 record sales behind him, and a career spanning the worlds of classical music and musical theatre, on film, on television, on radio, and on stage, this is A Life in Music with Russell Scott. Well, hello and welcome to A Life in Music with Russell Scott. Well, on today's show, I've got a very special guest. Now, this special guest is a lady who has enjoyed an incredible career, starting out with the a cappella group, The Swingle Singers. She went on to become musical director, and since then has enjoyed an incredible career, full of engagements as a solo artist. She's appeared at the BBC Proms, at the Edinburgh Festival, at Glastonbury. She sings with the RPO's symphonic rock concerts. She's gone on to work as one of, the, of London's busiest studios, singers recording soundtracks for Hollywood films and TV and video games. She also uh, specialises in, in an area of um, technique of, of crossover between classical music and jazz and she runs a workshop called You Can Sing But Can You Swing? And I'm really excited to have her involved in this year's UK Choir Festival. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to A Life in Music Joanna Lestrange. Hi Joanna, welcome to the show. Pleasure. So tell me, what are you doing at the moment? Where are you? I'm at home. I'm sitting in my kitchen in deepest Hertfordshire, surrounded by kittens and chickens right now. <laughs> as, as is the norm, of course. Yes. So you, you've had a, an incredible career so far, and, and so it continues. Um, tell, me, tell me a little bit about, about you and what you do and how you do it and where it all sort of began. Okay, well, um, I'm from a family of musicians. So it was fairly sort of predictable, really, to go into music. But they're all classical musicians. My father's a classical composer. My grandfather was a viola player. So I grew up with classical music and um, studied the cello and the piano. And it was all quite serious and earnest. And it was only really when I was a student at Oxford that I um, started to get more into non-classical music and jazz. And then very, very luckily um, got a job with the Swingle Singers shortly after graduating and everything opened up from there really. And now what I enjoy is teaching classical choirs and a cappella groups how to sing jazz. I've realized there's quite a niche there because I've got fingers in, in both pies and, and I'm very, very lucky with how everything's going. And that, that crossover is, is quite difficult and quite challenging technically, vocally, because I I've, uh, like, I like you, I've, I've worked in musical theatre and in classical, and there's totally different techniques vocally yeah. in, uh, in, in singing the two different styles. Yes, that's true. Although a lot of my classical um, work is singing 
repertoire by Steve Rice, John Adams, Stockhausen, uh, Berio. So I'm often on microphone singing very high um, and almost crooning in some ways. And so for me, that that sort of side, that end, that contemporary end of classical singing is much more akin to what I do with a microphone when I'm singing jazz. So I think um, I must have known that I didn't want to go too far towards opera, big oratorio. I always shied away from that because I never wanted to lose my ability to sing swingle singer style and jazz. So yeah, the, the two for me aren't too dissimilar now, but obviously, yes, there are there are differences. And getting getting that swingle singer's job right at the beginning yes. must have been an incredible, incredible That's opportunity. Really lucky because actually, I was a school teacher after I left Oxford. I um, I I did a PGCE, and I thought I must do something sensible because you can't possibly make a living from singing. Of course not. Even though that's what I wanted to do, and everyone was saying, "Yes, you must have something to fall back on." So I did my PGCE, and I kind of endured it. I didn't really enjoy it, um, and then I got myself a job in a northwest London school, and actually really enjoyed the teaching. Really enjoyed running the choirs and that side of things. I mean, the class teaching, I never really had my heart in it, but I gave it my all. And after three years of that, I thought, actually, you know, I just want to sing. So then I felt braver to go for um, auditions. And literally, the summer I gave up teaching, um, a job came up in the single singers for a soprano. So I don't know whether fate played a part in that, but um, I got that job, so yeah. And did you need, did you need to sight read at that point? I did, but my sight reading's always been good. I mean, coming from a musical family, it was just what you did. Every morning we had to sing an A before breakfast. <laughs> and we always had to sight read. I remember learning to read music when I learned to read. And for me, they were always just the same. So well, it's I'm another very, language, isn't it? It's another language. And I think that's been a, a huge contributing factor, actually, to, to having um, as much work as I've been lucky to have because I can step in at the last minute and just do it. So. And do you do you have a a, a favourite between classical and jazz? I mean, is there <laughs> is there one that feels more part of your soul or more that you're sort of challenged by and love to do if you, if yeah. you ever choose one over the other? Oh, it's hard to choose one over the other. But I think where I feel most at home is where I'm doing a, a direct crossover between the two. So for me, my absolute favorite piece to perform is Will Todd's Mass in Blue, which has an enormous vocal range. Um, and ha uh, you have to have classical training to get your voice around that piece, but you also have to be able to do jazz and improvise around the blues scale. So for me, that's just, oh, just heaven. And I just <laughs> several times a year, and I had a lovely review last summer in Edinburgh Festival saying, it's almost as if he wrote this piece for her. And I thought, oh, you know. <laughs> so yeah, that's where I feel most at home is doing that crossover um, stuff with my, with my microphone. You, you obviously had a natural ability and obviously coming from a musical family. Yeah. How important was your training and how, how important do you think training is? Because, uh, you know, a lot of people um, go straight into work. I did, for example. I didn't. I didn't go through the sort of norm, normal mill of, of school and college and university and, and then music college. I, I went straight into performance. And some people do that, and some people go the traditional route. Now, which, which... interesting. I fall in between the two, really. I did go to university, but I and I read music, but it was a very academic course at Oxford. There was no performing as part of the course. I mean, it seems crazy to say that, but I did my entire degree. I performed all the time, but it wasn't part of my degree. The degree was very kind of historical, analytical, theoretical. Um, and so 
I did get into singing while I was there, but I didn't do that much. Um, but it was enough to show me that's what I wanted to do. And then I didn't do the music college route because I I didn't know at that stage what kind of singer I wanted to be, and I didn't want to be pigeonholed. And I don't know how things are there now, but it seemed to me that I had to decide at the age of 21 if I wanted to be an early music singer or an opera singer. And I thought, oh, I just don't know, I want to sing. So I avoided that and went straight into doing auditions alongside being a teacher. And, and that worked really well for me because I still feel now that when I sing, it's my natural voice. It's not something that's been given to me through training. It's how I want to sing anyway. And how, how competitive have you found it? Um, oh, I've, I think I've been, I think I've been lucky because if I'd, if I'd solely gone for one area of singing, if I just wanted to be in a jazz singer or just wanted to be in a classical singer or musical theatre, I think I would have, I think I would have struggled. But I think I've been lucky because I've struggled so many different styles where one's gone a bit quiet for a while. I've just picked up on another. So it's plate spinning and there's always been something going on. Um, I, I think it is a competitive world if you want to be a solo opera singer or a solo oratorio singer and that's your sole thing but I think for me dipping in and out of choirs a cappella groups jazz classical crossover I found a niche I've been very lucky I've I found particularly with a piece like Mass in Blue there aren't that many sopranos who would want to sing like that yeah. um, and I do so that's lucky it, I think versatility is king I think basically that's yeah. that's what you're saying and I, I've, I've enjoyed exactly the same kind of thing it's very unusual to find people similar um, yeah. that enjoy crossover because you know in a classical world people are very focused on classical music and they yeah. sort of frown upon the lighter stuff yeah and vice versa that the sort of people singing in lighter music don't really understand the classical world and oh, I and... think absolutely right Russell I think that's so fascinating and I think I, I always find myself thinking that a classical singers could learn so much from musical theatre singers I've said this so much because they, they sing so beautifully, they're technically so proficient and well-prepared, but I find sometimes watching a choir sing a little bit dull. I think you don't really look as if you're meaning what you're singing, whereas if you go and see a musical, you're just blown away by how passionate they are when they sing. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, I wish there was less snobbery and less division within the business because there's so much to be learned. When I watch a jazz singer, I watch a musical theatre singer, I. I I gain, I learn so much just by watching them. Yeah, I quite agree. I quite agree. I think it, it can be really inspiring watching other really? other people doing other things, even if it's not what you would do yourself. Um, I always say to people, you know, who are your favourite artists? And and when I'm when I'm you know working with groups and then you know you get people booing and hissing and others, but it, it's all it's all subjective. Absolutely. There's no right or wrong in this business. I totally agree. I remember the moment that I got my single singers um, when I heard that I'd got in. And I was doing um, a session for Ralph Allwood, funnily enough, I was at Eton, I can't remember what it was for now, but surrounded by mainly classical singers. And it was really interesting, about 50% of them went, wow, that's amazing, oh my goodness, congratulations, you know, you're made. And the other half went, oh God, really? You want to do that? <laughs> oh no, don't they use microphones? <laughs> now aside, aside from singing and being a performer yourself, obviously you've done a lot of other things and you, yeah. you work a lot with choirs and doing workshops and working at a cappella. Talk yeah. to me a little bit about, about your, your life in that area yes well I got into that in the swingle singers initially because um, I, I was the MD so for seven years as well as singing in the group I was taking the rehearsals and also we did a lot of educational outreach so wherever we were in the world we would work with I remember we worked with you know the China National Youth Choir and we worked with 
choirs and a cappella groups all over America. So that was a really good training ground for me to sort of hone my craft um, as a workshop leader and as a coach. And it wasn't necessarily something I ever thought I would do, but I had such wonderful feedback from people. I, I remember starting to think then, hmm, I wonder when I leave the Swingles whether this is something I want to pursue alongside singing, and that's what I've done. So um, I've ended up working for Voice Festival UK and associated with British choral directors and Ingenium Academy and NYC and Eating Choral Quarters and all these different people um, have engaged me over the years. And I think I, I, I love it so much. I couldn't be without it. It's For me, it's as, as important a strand of my career as my actual performing. I love showing that. And, and fortunate for us, you're, you've, you've agreed to take part in uh, my new project, which is the yeah. UK Choir Festival, a brand new choir Very festival exciting. that's, uh, that's uh, about to uh, start its journey out in life. And uh, tell, tell me a little bit about what you're, what you're looking forward to as, as part of the UK Choir Festival. Yes, well, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the chance to working with the choirs, but then watching them perform. I think that's what really drew me to your, um, when you gave an outline of what you're intending to get from this. I thought that's an excellent idea because it's all very well coaching a choir, but if they then don't get to stand on stage and show what they've learned, um, then, and also I love the variety of the different coaches and trainers that you've got, I think, you know, between us will cover such a huge spectrum of styles. For me personally, my thing, um, as I mentioned before, is teaching people who think they can't do jazz how to do jazz because there are so many tools you can give a choir. Um, to so get give me some examples. Give me, give me some, uh, give me some tips. Well, it's very interesting when you say to a choir at the beginning of a workshop, "I'm going to teach you about swing." Anybody who can tell me what swing is, people look a bit confused. Somebody might say, "I don't know. Is it syncopation? Does it mean off the beat?" Um, does it mean the blues? It, it's really interesting, even with the highly educated, interesting musical people, they can't put their finger on it. And it really is so simple. It's where you divide each beat into three instead of into two. And you're concentrating on the, the first and the third of that. So you can break it down that simply. And I give them such simple exercises, call and response. And then they've got it. Then they understand that the emphasis is on the two and the four. We get them clicking. And all of a sudden, they're swinging, and they say, God, I had no idea. You know, I had a brilliant experience last summer with Trinity College Choir in Cambridge, fantastic choir. And um, Stephen Layson got me along to coach them in swing because they were doing a whole disc of jazz. And when they started out, it was technically amazing, beautiful voices, but it wasn't really swinging. So I just did my You Can Sing But Can You Swing exercises on them, thinking that they would think, God, this is so obvious because we're brilliant professional musicians. But they were all saying, oh, God, I hadn't realized. Okay. Once they'd understood it, um, theoretically, then they were able to, to do it. So that was such fun to see that transformation. And what, what, could, what advice could you give people that are sort of just starting out in this industry? Yes. I think the biggest bit of advice is to never give up on your dream. You know, you get all sorts of people along the way saying, no, you'll never do that. that that's far too competitive. Oh, no, you can't do that. You can't combine that with that. You should be doing this. And I think you have to be quite resolute and quite strong within yourself, have self-belief and say, but that's what I want to do. So I'm going to, I'm going to do that, you know. Um, that would be my main bit of advice, but also meet everybody. Don't disregard anybody along the way because people have got such fantastic um, 
connections with other people and so you might meet somebody and think well that was fairly insignificant but then they introduce you to someone who says actually I'm interested in that and before you know it you've got this whole network of people and that's you know be friendly to everybody you just never know what's going to come along so yeah I think that's some really invaluable advice there Thank you again, Joanna Lestrange. Well, good luck to everybody. Well, that's it. That's at the end of today's show. It's uh, it's been a great show, and uh, Joanna's just such an inspiration. It was a real, real pleasure to have her on here. And if you'd like to find out more about Joanna, please do visit her website at www.joannaforbeslestrange.com. I'll spell that: J O A N N A F O R B E S L E S T R A N G E. Joannaforbeslestrange.com, and you can find her on Twitter at Joanna Lestrange. Well, thank you again for uh, tuning in uh, to this edition of the podcast. Um, Don't forget to check out my website at www.alifeinmusic.com and please, please do me the great favour of going onto iTunes and reviewing this podcast. It really will help us enormously to get out there and uh, to help so many other people and support them in their uh, quest to be the very best they can be. Uh, You can also check me out at Twitter at RussellScottUK. And we'll be back very soon with another episode of A Life in Music. And don't forget, be your very best.